Well, we want to welcome you to Rise Church. My name is Jason. I'm the executive pastor here. You say, what does that person do? I do just do all kinds of random things, and uh, it's just the title. Uh, it doesn't mean much. I guess I execute things. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we want to welcome you if you're a guest. One of the things our pastor says is if you are a guest with us, we're so glad to have you. Uh, to try us out three times uh, because we may be off one week and you may not get a, the best experience on the first time. So definitely uh, encourage you to come back. Also, if you're watching online, we're so glad that you're joining us today. Feel free to like, comment, share. Also, those who are here, uh, take time to check in on Facebook and let people know that you are here. Uh, we are in a series and we are wrapping up a series called You Ask For It. And we have collected uh, questions and been addressing questions, several questions every week, and we don't get to them all, and uh, we try to do our best to, to where the Bible is clear to be clear. Where the Bible isn't clear, we kind of unpack that and give you some of our thoughts on that, and uh, we, we, we don't want uh, uh, this to be a cause of, of argument or, or division, and we find that some questions are best not answered in a public space, better face-to-face, and sometimes uh, you know, what I've realized over the years is that sometimes people ask questions that they know the answer to just to see what you're going to say. Um, and so this week, we are tackling one question that I've heard over my, uh, you know, almost 25 years in ministry time and time again, happened in different ways, but it's this question, how can I change? How can I change? And it happens in different forms. Maybe it's, can I change? Uh, what do I need to do to change? I cuss too much. Can you help me? What do I, what do I, 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 I'm like a sailor over here. Can you help me? Clean up my language. Maybe it's, hey, I need to overcome these thoughts that are in my mind. I just keep having these bad thoughts over and over. I'm angry too much. Can you help me? Uh, you know, I work too much. I, uh, I have this addiction that I, that I face. I'm, I'm worrying too much, and I want to worry less. And so what I've realized, though, that there are certain attitudes that lead to change. Before we take the steps of change, which we're going to talk about today, is I always see that there are certain attitudes that lead to change. And, and for every change to take place, at least one of these, if not all three of these, need to be in effect. And these are different attitudes of change. And I was reading a book by uh, John Maxwell, leadership guru, uh, former lead pastor of a church and now a teaching pastor at a church. I don't know if you know that about John Maxwell, but he wrote this in his book, and he said this, people change when they hurt enough that they have to change, learn enough that they want to change, receive enough that they are able to change. Three attitudes that lead to change there, and number one is have to change. He said, when they hurt enough, that they have to change. The cost of not changing is pain. But there is pain in the change. All change costs us something. And when a person is ready to change, it is when they weigh the cost of staying the same, the hurt that it causes themselves, their mental well-being, their physical well-being, maybe their family, their relationships, their spiritual well-being, versus what will happen if I do change? I don't know. We would rather have often problems that we are familiar with versus solutions that we are unfamiliar with. Why? Because we have a fear of the unfamiliar. And so there is a pain of not changing. And when that pain becomes greater than the pain that we feel that it will cost us to change, then we are ready to change. We have to count the cost. Number 
to after have to change, it's want to change. Here's what I've realized over the years as a pastor, as a coach, as a consultant, as a father, some people don't want to change. Some people are okay with their mess. Some people are okay the way things are, and they don't realize that they need to change. They have not learned enough about their situation about who they really are, about what they're really doing to want to change. We have to want to change to change. So we have to change. We want to change. Our third attitude is this, able to change. He said, you receive enough that you're able to change. And this could happen in just the, sometimes there's a courage that it takes to change, to take that step. Sometimes it's just like, do I have the motivation to change? You want to change your weight? You want to change your health? You have to have some motivation. You have to have some inspiration. Most of us have the information, right? We know what's right. When I talk to people who want to stop smoking, they're never thinking, hey, you know what? I think this is okay for me. This is not the 50s. People know that it's not good for you, right? It's not information, it's inspiration and motivation. It's weighing the cost. Well, I want to talk about the steps to change today. Those are the attitudes, the, the have to, the want to, the able to. And I'm going to do that right after uh, I invite my friend Tabby up here. And we are going to have another segment here that we call the hot seat. I would have preferred to call it the lightning round. I'm more like the lightning type, but, you know, hot seat. That's why I'm sitting in this seat. Uh, here. And I guess we're, and I realized after first service, like I get why Pastor Aaron liked to say that like multiple times and do like the little beat thing right there. I kind of made fun of him uh, for that, but then I did it myself and I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. I still think lightning round would have been cool because then I could have done like some cool stuff. How was that? <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. That's why they put me in a seat because the cameraman can't follow if That's I valid. If I'm That's not in a very seat. true. That's like, very please true. sit down and don't move. <laughs> well, I'm like, lightning round! <laughs> That's what I would call it. Not hot Wait, seat. What? Lightning round! Okay. Can we All get right. one more? Lightning round! Okay. All right. Well, then for the... <laughs> oh, jeez. You all want to count to three and say the hot seat so that we can cue this thing. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, one, two, three. Lightning! Thought doing this with Pastor Aaron was hard. <laughs> All right, well, for those of you who have not been here over the last two weeks, what's gonna happen right now in the hot seat lightning round? Um, yes. You're welcome. Uh, we <laughs> Pastor, change the graphic. We're gonna, we're gonna put five minutes on the... Hold on. I'm executing some lightning. Oh, geez. Okay, we're going to put five minutes on a countdown. This is, it's going to be hard to get through this one this time. Okay, we're going to put five minutes on a countdown, and Pastor Jason is going to answer as many questions as he can, questions that you guys have sent in over the last few weeks. So um, we're going to give the go. same courtesy to Pastor Jason that we give to Pastor Aaron. So I'm going to ask the question first. So like eight minutes. Uh. Sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask it. the question, 
and then they will put the five minutes on the clock. Is everybody ready? All right, here we go. Is it okay for me, well, or you maybe, to pray for your sports team to win? Yes, I know, Tabby, you don't like the sport ball. I don't like the um, sport ball. You don't like any of the sport balls. Um, but the Bible doesn't address this. This is not clear. There was no, you know, probably sport balls in Jesus' day. Uh, but he does address and he does say in Luke that he cares about the details of our life. And so I think what this person is asking is like, okay, so there could be two things. It's like, hey, I'm a young person and I'm playing sports or, you know, doing some sort of sport thing. Can I pray for God to help me win? I don't think so. I don't think, you know, or, or maybe the other side is like, hey, I'm a, I, you know, I'm a Spurs fan. I'm going to pray for the Spurs to win. You're doing a terrible job if that's true. Um, <laughs> about half and halfy, half season. Are they losing? They're about half and half. They're about 50% oh, okay. right now. So they won last night. But, um, you know, I don't think that God's back there and he's like, okay, which person is going to pray harder? I'm going to make their team win. Because if that was the case, my teams would win all of the sports championships, right? Like, I don't think God's up there like, well, they got a Christian on their team and they got a Christian, so I'm going to make them win. Like, who, how does he determine that? I think he, that, that, you know, there's a lot more of skill, hard work, strategy, and sometimes it's just like chance that someone wins. And so I think it's okay to pray for, you know, that. I, I don't think God's like a genie, though, that we just press some buttons and we get whatever we want from him. He's not a cosmic vending machine uh, to, to answer our prayers in that way. It's supposed to be a dialogue and conversation with him. And so, hey, if you want to pray for the Spurs, that's great. If you want to pray for your team, you're praying, you're playing a game, you want to pray, hey, that's great. I just hope that you're just as concerned with winning people to the Lord as you are with billionaires and millionaires winning a child's game. Just saying, just saying. Uh, and I like the sport balls, all of the sport balls. All right, next question. What about the weird restrictions in the Old Testament? Are we supposed to follow those? Yeah, this is a complex question we get in various forms because there's some things in the Old Testament that we have to realize context, context, context. Who was it written to? When was it written? And why was it written? And so, for instance, I think one of the things that was referenced is like, why is there a restriction in the Old Testament of wearing a shirt with two types of materials? in it. That's in there. Uh, why can I not plant a field with multiple types of seeds in it? That seems weird. Why can it, why does the Bible specifically forbid cooking a baby goat in its mother's milk? That's weird. The reason it is, it was written to ancient people who lived in a world where most of the inhabitants of that world practiced symbolic magic. And their symbolic magic worked this way. If I plant two types of seeds in my field, it'll ward off any pest, anything, anything bad that can happen to my crops if I balance out the gods of this world and make the spirits happy. If I wear a shirt with two types of material, it'll ward off evil spirits. If I boil a goat in its mother's milk, you know what it'll do? It'll, it'll increase the fertility of the flock and we'll have more goats next season. Those were superstitious things. And so what God was saying is, don't trust in those, trust in me. Now you say, well, what does that mean for me today? Do I have to follow those rules? No, but you know what it is telling you? Trust in God, not in your superstitions. Not in your, don't say that, you might jinx it. That's two types of seed in one field. Come on. Or, man, I'm not feeling good. Oh, don't say you're not feeling good because then you're going to die. 
That's two types of seed in one field. That's superstitious. Superstitious. I believe in the power of our words. They have power. That is true. But be careful that you're not trusting in superstitious things. Like, I got to wear, I got to get my playoff beard. I got to, you know, that, that superstitious things. Not trusting in God. That's all he's telling us to do. Trust in him, not nonsense. All right. Next question. Can I just pray and ask God to help me in school instead of studying? No. No. Like, Lord, what's the answer? C, A, B. Study to show yourself approved is what Paul wrote to Timothy. So you reap what you sow. God is not your genie to get you the A on the test. Work hard. With 30 seconds on the clock, why is there no class for my teenager on Sunday morning? We get this question a lot, and I've gotten this over the years being a family pastor, kids pastor, youth pastor, um, and now an executive pastor. Here's a couple of things that you have to have to have a class for students or anyone. You have to have space for it. Right now, we don't even have the space for the students, the children that we do have, and so that's out. You have to have leaders. We have some great leaders in Rise Youth, and we have Rise Youth every Wednesday night. Uh, we're, we're, we're appreciative of, of those leaders. And you have to have some sort of material, something that you're teaching that's engaging. You just can't open the Bible and teach it to students unless you're really, really good at it. And I'm good, and I'm not even that good. Pastor Aaron is good. He's not that good. Just letting you know, like, what level that takes. Um, now, why do we even have kids' classrooms at all? Like, why do we have that? Because, you know, I grew up in a church like, we didn't have that. You had to come and sit, and you better be quiet, or you're going to get pinched and slapped and whooped later and everything. Well, we love that, 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 that there are different ages, and what happens is different ages have de different developmental stages. So we share God's Word back there in an attention span that the kids can get. We don't believe in a junior Holy Spirit or a different Bible that we teach from. Now, we teach from God's Word. We are teaching it, but we're teaching it on a level that they can understand in bite-sized pieces that they can understand and principles that they can understand. While we might have three points, they might have one point back there. And some of y'all need the one point, I can tell. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, if our teenagers aren't engaged in church, man, we've got a great communicator every weekend, Pastor Aaron, sharing the word. He shares it in a way that they can get something from it. And if they can't, there's probably something else there, right? Besides something wrong with Pastor Aaron, there's probably something else there uh, that you might want to, you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well. And we may, some point. We may, but not right now. Right. Well, for our very last hot seat, we have gotten through four questions today. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Woo! Lightning round. That's why it's lightning round. All right. Uh, jumping back into how can I change, I want to preface this by saying this is not an all-inclusive list. Of, it doesn't include everything that you need to do to change. There's so much to change. Uh, you know, I, know I, don't, I don't talk about incremental change in this or quick change or overnight change, uh, but I'm going to talk to you about three facets of change that I want to focus on for today to give you a bite-sized uh, piece here because you know I could come up with 40 steps for change, but I know that your attention span cannot hold that. Uh, so we're going to do three steps for that. And our first uh, step of change is to know yourself. Know yourself. I almost wanted to call this know the truth and you'll find out why, but I want to say know yourself. Uh, the, the first thing for helping us to understand how and what we need to change is to know ourselves. Paul wrote this in Romans 7 verse 15. He says, I don't understand myself at all. I don't understand myself at all. He says, for I really want to do what is right. Anybody ever felt that way? Like, I want to do the right thing. 
but I don't do it. He said, instead, I do the very thing I hate. Anyone ever been there? Me, me, just me. Okay, and a couple other folks. He says, I don't understand myself at all. And so I think self-awareness is a first great step of us understanding where we need to change. And I've done so much work on this in my life, and I'm, I'm constantly on this. And someone actually, after this message last service, said, hey, did you get this from this book? I, that sounded like that book. I'm reading that book. I'm like, yeah, I read that book and 50 others just like it right now to help me change. And it's still not enough. I've gone through multiple different things, you know, and I'm a big fan of personality tests, and I'm actually licensed in one of the personality tests, and I'm going through a class, and, you know, if you know me, I'm like a little bit robotic, a little bit unemotional. Um, I'm, you know, the only emotion I ever feel is anger, uh, always. I'm always angry. Uh, And I'm like, why am I always, I got to discover, why am I like this? And I'm in this class, and you know, and it, they had to do it over Zoom, and so all of the rest of our cameras are, and they're like, this personality type, you guys have your cameras on, everybody else put their cameras off, and they start talking about this thing that happened in childhood and why you create the system to think the way you do it. I just start bawling, crying in front of everybody. I'm like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> why? Because I started to see myself as a child. I started to see my insufficiencies where I need Christ to show up with his sufficiency. I started to see where things aren't good and I need God's goodness. I started to, to see the things that are bad where I need God's grace. I started to see where I had shortcomings where I need God's powerfulness to show up. I started to see where I had some trauma as a child, like we all have something, where I, I haven't allowed God to show up here. I started to see this, that there are lies that we all believe about ourselves, about our families, about our world, about our self-worth, about our identity. We believe lies. And, and, and I realized this about helping people over you know, decades now go walk through addiction is that it's always rooted in a lie. If I, I drink because... I need a release from this. I, I, I do this because of this. I look at this because of this. I'll fit in if I do this. I worry so much because things just aren't right. Uh, th there's always some sort of trigger that's a lie that causes us to do that. I remember, and I was just, it just thought about this uh, illustration. First service didn't get this one, but this is a bonus. For second service, my daughter, my oldest daughter, when she first started driving, she believed the lie that I'm really close to the left lane, so I've got to drive over to the right. And it scared me driving behind her. And one day on the way to church right here, coming to church, she, you know, they got this construction right here. She just grind down the right side of her car because she believed the lie. I'm too close over here. I have to get over here. That's all of us. There's a lie that we believe. Like, I, I'm too close to this. I got to get over to this. It's a lie. And so we have to realize that often these things are to help us to, maybe it's the lie of like, hey, I got to get rid of this pain. If I do this, the pain will go away. And it's dangerous to live life without pain. As a runner, when my legs are hurt, I don't just say, well, man, I got to call Dr. Eddie and get me a pain shot. I say, well, I got to listen to that pain. It's telling me something's not right, 
And if I keep running on that leg with pain, I could cause more damage. And in our lives, what we do is we create systems to help us to not address the pain, but to ignore the pain. And we're like, why am I getting more and more hurt? Why am I getting more and more hurt? I keep numbing this pain, but it doesn't go away. That's the lie that we believe. Jesus said it this way in John 8, 32. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need to understand the truth. Freedom begins with truth. God will heal what you reveal. That you turn over to him because he is a gentleman. He is waiting for your permission to show up and heal parts of our life. That's part of knowing ourselves. And we must realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of whatever hole that we have on the inside of us. He is that fulfillment. So number one, know yourself. Number two, change your thoughts. Change your thoughts. Romans 12, 2 says this in the NIV, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must change our thoughts. And in fact, the word repent in the New Testament Greek literally means to have a change of mind, to change the system. It's two words put together. One is change, the other is mind. You've got to change the way you think to change. And in fact, when they were originally translating it from the Greek to the English, at the time, the church was very much like this, that repent meant this, you better feel bad about what you did. God saw you. You better feel bad about it. You better feel some remorse. You better, you're a wormy old thing. You slimy, you dirty, no good. Hey, there was power in making people feel bad about themselves. It's still today. You can, you can find a lot of those places to go. But the word repent didn't mean feel bad and be, 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 be beat yourself up. And if you don't beat yourself up enough, don't worry, we'll help. It was change the way you're thinking into a new, higher way of thinking, God's way of thinking. And they didn't even like that. They were like, we don't like this word. We want to strike it. Well, you can't strike it. That's what God put down for eternity. Change the way we think. It reminds me of, got a little thing here to help me illustrate this. I lived in a little small town on a river in the Midwest, and this little river flew through, you know, flowed through the town. And years ago, almost 100 years ago, they built a bridge over the river so you could get to the other side. My wife grew up on the other side. My family moved to the, to the one side where the small town was. She was even an even smaller town, 600 people. This was like you know, 6,000 people. And they started to realize this bridge was breaking down. And what had happened was is there were birds building nests in the structure of the bridge, making their nest. And, and the thing about birds is when they have a nest, they make a mess everywhere. I have uh, two trees over my driveway. My cars are always dirty with bird mess. And it eats through the paint, eats through the finish. And what happened with this bridge was is that for years and decades, they did nothing about the bird mess. And they allowed the birds to build up. And the birds nested there. And that their mess started to permeate through the paint, 
into the steel of the structure and eat away at it, decay away at it, and cause the bridge to be structurally unsound, to be dangerous, to be in danger of collapse. In our lives, birds are like thoughts. Our thoughts are like birds. They come, they fly over our head. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head. You can try, you'll look foolish. And birds fly over our head at all times. Thoughts fly over our heads at all times. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to let a bird start a nest up in my hair. I'm going to clean this mess off. If a bird comes and says, man, that looks like a great place, you know, back when I had lots of hair, uh, that looks like a great place to start a nest. I'm not going to allow that to happen. But that's what we allow with thoughts. We allow them to build up for decades, make a mess, corrupt the structure of our mind and our life, come on, damage it over time and say, what happened? Why are all these thoughts coming? Why do I have all these? Why is this all here? And we have to clean that off. Remove that. Don't allow that to sit in our lives. And we'll never be able to stop thoughts from coming until we're no longer of this earth, but we can stop them from living there. I love what Pastor Aaron talked about. This is the way you do this is you got you to gotta make sure that you're not filling your life full of garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. What are you feeding yourself on? He addressed that. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. Above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What are you allowing in? I remember when I was a kid, we were living with my grandparents. And uh, my grandma, was she was, bless her heart, she had gone through a lot of tough stuff in life. And all I can remember about my grandma, and she passed away when I was about 11, 12, somewhere around there, is that she laid on the couch, she drank beer, she smoked menthols, I can remember she watched a lot of TV. I remember she liked Billy Graham, and she cussed a lot. So we were living with her, and there were, my mom at that time had three kids, and my, my littlest the brother there, and I'm, you know, I'm the oldest of nine, but at that time it was just three of us, and Joey, my, my second under the, me, the third in the boys, he, he's out. The, he, he, it, was time, it was way past time for him to not have a bottle anymore. You know, if you ever have parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, man... You know, he just, this way, you're way too big, buddy. You just don't need a bottle anymore. So they decided to take the bottle away from, but now I don't know if it was me and my cousins or it was my mom or aunt. I don't know whose idea, maybe my grandma's idea. Like, oh, but let's blame it on grandma. Uh, grandma's idea. We are going to tell Joey the birds took his bottle. We're going to say, birds took your bottle, Joey. Sorry, the bottle's not here anymore. The birdies took it. So one day, grandma has this big window. She's, he's looking out in the yard talking to himself, looking at those birds. He's mad at them birds. So he wants his bottle back. And he goes, GD birds took my bottle. But I edited that, obviously. He actually said the word. Why? Because he had been filled up with listening to grandma say that about everything. He just was repeating what he heard. Kids do that. But guess who else does that? You do that. 
when we fill ourselves up with the wrong things. We have to have the law of replacement. Again, Pastor Aaron talked about this. We need to replace wrong thoughts with right thoughts. Good thoughts. Philippians 4 talks about this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He goes, let me make this point. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. You've got to fill yourself up with the right thoughts. How do we do this? We meditate on God's word. Again, Pastor Aaron talked about this, Joshua 1.8. He says, study the book of law and this instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. And when they're talking about meditating the Bible, it means to fill yourself up with. How do you fill yourself up with God's word? You read it, you pray it, you read it again, you pray it again, you read it, you say it, you write it down, you memorize it, you repeat it, you come and hear a message you've already heard before, and you know that you ain't going to do two of the points anyhow. Why does he keep preaching the same thing? I don't know. You repeat it, and you go over, and you meditate it, and you meditate on it. Man, they talked about this last last week, why are you saying it again? And you repeat it and you do it again and again. Why do I got to go to the gym and work out with the same things every day? Oh, it's repetition is where the strength is built. That is Bible meditation. Repetition is where the strength is built. Repetition is where the strength is built. I didn't just go out one day and say, man, you know, I want to run a marathon. I'm going to go run a few miles, and then I'll be good to go. Oh, man, I got to keep, I got to keep doing it. I'm not even training for a marathon right now, and I'm still doing 25 miles in a week. Why? Wow, repetition, 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 repetition. Then I add a little something new. Repeat that. Going to do some speed work. Okay, I got to repeat that. Why? Because that is where the strength is made in the repetition. Over and over again. We've got to repeat God's word. Number one was know yourself. Number two is change your thoughts. And number three is change your surroundings. Here's what I realized. And one of the questions that was asked is, how can I help others? You can be the good surrounding for this person. How can I help someone else who's going through a battle? You can be there for them. Because what I know of this is, is most of us cannot be free alone. According to God's word, we cannot be free alone. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, 33, and 34, Paul writes this. He said, do not be misled. When they say do not be misled, guess what? Most people are going to still be misled by that. Bad company corrupts good character. He said, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. He said, he ties sin to bad company to those we surround ourselves with. This isn't just talking about people. It could be the surroundings, the, the things that, the, the, you know, like we put ourselves in situations where we are going to fail. We set ourselves up. We can't show up at the buffet if we're trying to lose the weight and say, well, I'll get me a Diet Coke and eat whatever I want. That's, you got to change your surroundings. That's not going to work. Maybe if I get a really big Diet Coke. That's not how it works. He says, stop, don't be misled. Ecclesiastes says it this way. Ecclesiastes 4, 12. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So you might be strong enough by yourself, but with two, you can definitely defend the attacks that are coming against you. But with three, they can't be broken. What is he saying here? There is power in support. There is power in what we call spiritual family here. There is power in people coming around you and supporting you. 
This is why we talk about getting in a group when we have our group semester, and we're going to have a big group launch in the fall. And while we say, man, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group, find the people that you can support and that can support you. How can I support? Man, get in a group with them. How can I be supported? Get in a group. This is why we talk about serving, getting around other people. We, we, we push serve, man, we're always doing a serve project in our community. Once a month, we're out doing something. Why? Because there's power in going and helping someone else. That's why we, we, we talk about being a part of a team. And while we have our Next Steps class coming up in, in May, 16th to 23rd, why we encourage people to do that? Why? Because there's power in going together and supporting one another. And, 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 and let me just say something on this. Is, is sometimes is that's not enough, and we need to go get professional help. Maybe we, we suffer from thoughts that we just can't beat. We need to go get some help. But for some reason, not only in our world but in the church, we have a stigma around this. If I'm driving home today, and this isn't going to happen, I'm just giving you a story, what if? I'm driving home today and I get in an accident and I lose my leg. And, I, and you guys see me in some months after I've gone through rehab and I have a prosthetic leg. No one would look at me and say, wow, I wish that pastor had some more faith. If he had more faith, he wouldn't have lost his leg. If he would have prayed more, if he would have read his Bible more, if he would have worshipped more, not that Hillsong kind of worship either, the old school kind. (laughs) But go through a mental battle. People say, mm, 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 mm. how weak you are. You should have prayed more. You should read the word more. I mean, tell, let me tell you, nobody reads, um, reads the word more than I do. I get it. I get it. I believe in the power of the word. I believe in the power of prayer. That's, we all believe in that. But sometimes things just happen. We're in a fallen world. And we have this stigma around not just mental, but like, you know, sometimes there are things that people fall into. When my youngest biological brother was a teenager, his name was Tyler, he was staying with my paternal grandfather, and my grandfather molested him. And Tyler, he came home and he he told my parents, family, and they said, we don't, we don't believe you. That didn't happen. You're, you're such a storyteller. That did not happen. But the things that didn't happen, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So he kept pressing it, and so my grandfather was a man of means at that time, and he gave Tyler $10,000 to shut up and never say anything else about it. So he took the money, and he went out, and he's in this pain, and nobody will help him. No one will listen. So he goes to drugs, you know, the gateway drugs first. Oh, no big deal. That didn't really help. So he had to, get, he had to get, keep going further and further to try to find some way to deal with the pain because nobody will help him. No one will listen. So he, he gets on the meth and he gets on fentanyl. Finally, one day he gets arrested and, you know, I, kind of, I was already out of the house when all this happened, and so I 
heard about what's happening with them, and so I went and visited them at the jail. I used my clergy pass and got in. So we got him in rehab, and he got his life clean. And I said, Tyler, you know what? One thing you've got to do is you've got to change your surroundings. You've got to get rid of those people, and you can't go those same places. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what they tell me. So he started going to AA, NA, any kind of A. Just to, get, just to be around the right kind of people who are trying to be better. But he always kept those names in his phone. You know the names. The guys who could get him the stuff. And he always went to the same places that he went before. And I said, Tyler, man, you got to stop going. To those. I love you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And he fell back in. He had to go through rehab again. And then we got him all clean. And then God called me and my family to come here to San Antonio. He did some work for us. We said goodbye to him. And I'm I'm here in San Antonio for just a little over a month. And my mom calls me one night and says, Tyler is dead. He took fentanyl. His heart exploded. He called this guy that he didn't remove from his phone, and he was around these people, and he was around this stuff, and he died. And I went home. The church was so, I mean, at that time, we weren't even planted as a church yet. They supported me. They sent me home to preach his funeral. Hardest thing I've ever done. Preach your baby brother's funeral. The one that you changed his diapers, and you did all the stuff, and Raised him mostly until he was about 10. And there's these kids there at the, in there. All his friends. You know, the people he should have deleted from his phone. They're there and they hear the story and they see the powerfulness of this. And I preached my best message I ever preached. God was there. He moved. And I'd like to tell you that all those kids got saved and they're all good. But within a month, three more of them died. Because they just wouldn't change their surroundings. Wouldn't give it up. The cost, they determined to be too high. And they couldn't get help. And I think we always have to be wary of judging someone else's journey because we don't know. And right when I get home, there was an organization in San Antonio we wanted to support. And the leader of this organization said on his Facebook page, drug addiction is a choice, not a disease. And I'm like, I don't care if Pastor Aaron wants to support this. I'll have nothing to do with this guy because he wrong. That might be the case in some people's case. I get it. But let's not judge people's journey they're on. But I say that to say this. As, as we understand, we got to know ourselves. We've got to change our thoughts. We've got to change our surroundings. And here's the cool thing. We have a cheat code. We have the very power of God to help us change. We have the very Spirit of God that in the Old Testament turned 
Saul from a coward to a king that turned a heretic who was murdering Christians in Saul in the New Testament to Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament and the greatest Christian who ever lived, the most influential one of all time. That's what the power of God can do. That's what the power of God can do. That's what the power of God can do. He can change us as we invite him in to our pain, invite him into the place where we are insufficient, invite him in to help us change our thoughts, to change our surroundings, and to move forward with change. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me as we pray? Maybe you're here and you've never made that decision to follow Christ and to surrender to him. The power of God is here today for you. The Bible says that God loved us so much that even in all of our mess, even in our sin, that he sent his only son to die for us, that whoever will believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life with God. And so that is what's available for us today. 